Think you know diamonds? Probably not as much as you think. Our engagement ring, the gift from a partner, or the jewelry we buy to celebrate a win sparks a lot of joy. But did you know that Stone is connected to 10 million people around the world? From Canada to Africa to Australia, the natural diamond industry provides health care and more to remote communities. Each natural diamond promises a more sparkling future for generations to come. Discover so many more natural diamond truths at naturaldiamonds.com slash thank you. Welcome to Dram Talk. Pour a dram, take a seat, and let's talk whiskey. I'm Brad. And I'm Daniel. And welcome back to the first episode of the year for 2023. We are off to a great start. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, um, we're getting into the third year of doing Dram Talk. And if this is the first time I forgot to hit record before we started, that's that's pretty damn good in my eyes. Um, but yeah, no... Rocky start to the new year. Not to mention we're recording an episode we promised we would send out at the end of last year. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, here's a, here's a New Year's episode, you know, instead. Yes, it's it's going to be the same vibe. We're going to kind of cover the the top um, distilleries and whiskies from 2022 um, that Brad and myself have experienced. And we will, I guess, kind of give a brief wrap up of the year and then... I guess as a bonus, we'll also share what to expect from Dram Talk in 2023. Yeah. And I guess what kind of feeds into that is, um, you know, our episode releases and our schedule and whatnot, a very hot topic of late. Before Daniel and I get into the meat of the episode, the whiskies of the year, um, we're doing things a little differently today. We have a, a glass of beer. In front of us. Yeah. New, really weird right now. New year, new podcast. You're thinking, yeah, you're all thinking weird, right? Dram talking, they've got beer in front of them. The reason being, um, well, this beer is called Old Nessie, aptly named for the Dram Talk podcast. Um, it's at 8.2%, far cry from the 40% yeah. that we expect from whiskey, but you know, here we are. But it's from Iron Bark Hill Brewhouse. Um, they're in the Hunter Valley here in New South Wales. Um, now, this beer, gold medal winner in 2022 at the Australian International Beer Awards, silver medal winner at, in 2021 at the Sydney Royal Beer Awards. Now, you may be wondering, like, surely those awards aren't the reason you brought the beer onto the podcast? <laughs> no, no, that's not the reason. It's not just the name either. So, it's a Scottish strong ale and it has been seasoned in... Peated whiskey casks. So everything should become clear now why why we have chosen to have beer on today's episode. <laughs> like, so I think kind of a bit of context to this is um, Brad had his wedding in the Hunter Valley and it was like the brewery was at the place you got married, right? Yeah. 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 And these beers were served on tap, not these ones specifically, but beers from this um, brewery were served and kind of, Afterwards, we checked out what else they had and saw that they had a peated beer. And we were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) You just knew that uh, Daniel and myself were all up in that. Yeah. So I I think um, 
it was the day after my partner and I, yeah. we went to um, grab some beers from there because I saw a heap that were on the menu. And I'm like, I'm coming back here and I'm getting something to take home. And I saw the Peter beers and I was like, God damn. But they were sold out of them then. So um, we left and then that's when I messaged you and I was like, hey, if you're ever back in the Hunter Valley, <laughs> yeah, get me some yeah. of these beers. Yeah. And when my now wife and I went back to the Hunter Valley for, I guess, our six month anniversary, obviously the first place I would check out would be, you know, under context of, you know, we're going back to have a look at the venue. Oh, the memories. Uh-huh, wink, wink, <laughs> wink, wink. Oh, while we're here, can I check the distillery out back and the brewery, I should say, out back? And lo and behold, saw old Nessie in the fridge, had to get a couple cans. And I'll tell you, it's it's, it's a very, very good beer or ale, I should say. Kind of uh, looking like a Guinness. If you kind of saw it in the glass, you'd probably think it was Guinness. Maybe not as dark. Yeah, it's like, it's like, yeah, the color of like a really dark amber ale, um, bordering on a stout. It's not quite as opaque or as like black as stouts and Guinnesses can be. Um, and it doesn't have that super kind of creamy foam head at the top. Um, the head on this one disappeared quite fast, but um, it is extremely dark. <laughs> yeah, very dark. Really, really different, I guess, from what you're expecting in terms of smoke and peat. Uh, more along the lines, for me anyway, of espresso, toffee, and mainly that's about it. Or, you know, dark's even a note. Um, yeah. But whatever you expect <laughs> from a dark ale, you're getting that as well. Yeah, you don't quite get like that campfire smoke in your mouth. I find like it's more along the lines of like a really dark caramel, like bordering on like a like those almost like a burnt caramel sugar note. Yeah. Um, yep. And as you said, like it's got that really nice bitter note that you also associate with coffee and espresso, um, but it's also super chocolatey. So yeah, it's, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it is very, very good. Um, in terms of the smokiness and peat, you'd have to really, really look for it. I think, I wonder if it's because, you know, maybe it's been sitting on the shelf for a little too long or a little... <laughs> Or for a little while, so then the smoke and the peats mellowed out. But, you know, I'm not disappointed. Still very, very good. But, um, yeah, I think that's enough intro about <laughs> beer. This isn't beer talk, it is dram talk. Let's, um, let's get into the whiskies of the year. Whilst we save our, our um, old Nessie over here. Yep. All right, so, um, as per, I think, to give everyone, like, a quick refresh... Um, we kind of did this at the end of 2021 where we really wanted to highlight a distillery of the year. And this was just one that seemed to constantly keep popping up throughout the year. And every time it did, it really impressed us. And that was Highland Park. Um, if you're not caught up on our latest episodes and you're jumping in now, like head back there because there is like, even into this year, it's, it's still hard to kind of think of what else has been impressive to me this year without kind of, always jumping back to some of the like Highland parks. They've also been some standouts for me this year. Every time I've revisited one of my bottles. Um, but yeah, like we are going to have, we're not necessarily going to end up in a consensus here on one distillery of the year. I'll bring my, forward my case. Brad can bring forward his and um, it'll be like a bipartisan whiskey of the year. Like they both, um, there'll be two, two whiskeys of the year. Or two distilleries of the year, I think we should say. Yeah, starting off with our whiskies of the year or whiskey experiences of the year. For me, it's going to be very, very hard to look past Archie Rose. Yep. 
um, some stellar releases this year, particularly the Stringy Bark. Mm-hmm. Daniel tried it at um, our family Christmas, and man, I was telling him it was going to be good, and Daniel was it good? Oh, uh, it was like next level. Like I'll get into it later as well, but there have been some instances of. Australian whiskies using or Australian distilleries using peat that um, I don't think it's controversial to say have been um, very underwhelming in terms of what we expect just because we're so accommodated to or accustomed to like Isla peat, which is really like yep. smoke in your face, like head in a campfire kind of peat. Um, and I want to say that for a lot of distilleries in Australia, it's been a more mellowed version of that um, to the point yes, where it is yes. a component or maybe hidden in the background and yeah, so i no. think like yeah we've always expected more but this um stringy bark it like the smoke in that was so different yeah so different and you know you could probably even get away with saying could put some peated scotch to shame yeah absolutely because i mean like Anyone who's a fan of Peter Whiskey knows that you can have a range of different experiences from earthy to medicinal to briny to savory and meaty and um, just smoky as well. And this was really different to all of that. And it kind of like, especially being in Australia, it's like you always get flashbacks to like camping trips when you're lighting a, um, like a little campfire or a bonfire and just like constant like nostalgic flashbacks was what I was getting in that. It was just transporting me to those like outdoor, nice, cool summer nights with a fire going. And, oh, it was an experience. Yeah, no, really, really good. Um, so Daniel, your distillery of the year? So my distillery of the year would have to be Bunnahabhan. Um, yep. I know we're kind of, you're, you're repping Australia and I'm, I'm heading back to Scotland this year. <laughs> but I mean, this, this one has just been so constant for me throughout the year. And I have tried a bunch of new things from that distillery and every single thing has just hit the mark. I mean, like it started with the cask strength um, of the 12 year old that was brought to Australia. Yeah. Um, and I think we got yeah, first, excellent whiskey, by the way. Yeah, yeah. We got like first dibs on it through the whiskey list. Um, I know we've spoken about yep. them before on the pod. Um, but managed to get a bottle through them. And I mean, it was, it was everything like I was expecting from a cast strength version of the 12, loving the standard 12 so much. Um, next thing would be the, I, the, uh, like facial whiskey festival that was put on here yep. in Australia by, um, the whiskey list again, like <laughs> they're not, not affiliated with this episode at all, but, um, they have, I think they've got a good relationship with Bunnahabhan. And so they, like a lot of the stuff that comes from Bunnahabhan, um, you just get so much more access to a variety of stuff released by that distillery through a place like that. But anyway, Bunnhaven were at the festival and they had quite a few bottles and actually got a um, bottle of the Calvados cask finish, which I think is like a 24-year-old Bunnhaven. And I'm not going to talk much more about it now because I really want to save it for an episode of the pod um, when I can share it with you, Brad, and we can chat about it then. But, um, man, that was absolutely stellar and then we did a bunahaban tasting and um we tried a range it was like kind of like the parent company so th- yeah. there was uh, i think three different um samples from bunahaban two from deanston and one from lechegue um yep. but it was just like like bunahaban was just like kind of knocked it out of the park 
every experience I've had with them this year. So they're, they're my whiskey of the, the distillery of the year for me. Yeah. And look, um, they're my runner up. So if you, if you maybe ask me on a different day, <laughs> yeah, we might've come to the same um, conclusion here with Bunahaben being the distillery of the year, mm-hmm. because like you said, any experience that involved Bunahaben, it was one that was very memorable and one that was far beyond standard whiskey drinking. Absolutely stellar, knocked it out of the park. Um, but now our shock of the year. So this one, I think Daniel and I did come to a consensus on this one. Yeah, this was something we did chat about in initial discussions around this episode because I think like there was really only one distillery that really like kind of impressed us to the level that we've just kind of, every time we got together and talking about it, we we're just like, how good are they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think we're still saying that, like, how good are these guys? Yeah. And that's Five Nines Distillery here in um, Australia, South Australia specifically. And yeah, again, this was, I guess, brought to us when we went to the Whiskey List um, Expo or it's like a whiskey show. Whiskey show, yeah. Yeah, uh, down in Canberra. And man, absolutely blown away. Uh, Daniel and I were there as media. And hands down, what we tried from Five five Nines, truly, truly exceptional whiskey. Shock of the year. And I'll be honest, you know, I hadn't heard too much about Five Nines Mm -hmm. um, prior to the the show. And man, they, they knocked my socks off. And I can't wait keep trying more whiskeys yeah and i think we're calling them shock of the year because i would say we don't have that much kind of historical experience or like a large experience with a variety of their different um bottlings we sampled i think three or four there um i bought a bottle you you bought a bottle as well right yeah i did Yeah, yeah i got their cask strength um sherry cask whiskey and i got the I got the bourbon uh, lightly peated. Ah, yep. Yeah, so I think, like, if I'd be safe to say, like, we don't quite know them and the consistency of their releases enough to put them in the realm of getting the distillery, the distiller of the year kind of tag from us. Um, yeah. But... But you never know. They definitely <laughs> they definitely stood out. Like, yeah, consider it like a, a runner-up for distiller of the year, but shock of the year is just something that kind of came left of centre and really just... We are like, where did that come from? Like, how have we missed this so far? Yeah, yeah. And we had an excellent chat yeah. um, with the head distiller as well. You can really tell they're super passionate about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that just makes Daniel and myself even more passionate about trying their whiskey. So um, I can probably safely say keep a ear out for Five Nines appearing on the pod later this year. Yeah. Um, because we're both super keen to keep trying uh, what they're putting out. Absolutely. Yeah, so now going on to our dram of the year. Now, for myself, you'd probably think it's going to be an Archie Rose, but I guess it's going to, I guess, go along the lines of Daniel's Distillery of the Year. So it's going to be the Bunahaben Limited Edition Una uh, 2011. So, and that's a 10 year old bottled at 56.2%. Now, this one absolutely just knocked my socks off. Loved it. When we were going through the tasting, I didn't even finish the glass because I wanted to keep some to go back to. And 
My problem was I loved it so much I finished my sample. Uh, but Daniel, he's got a little bit left there, so he can kind of run you guys through some of the notes there. Yeah, I figured I'd top it, it off. But man, while so since good. you're talking about it, um, and like initially upon the nose, like it's all of that almost like characteristic Bunnahaben that you get the really deep sherry notes. Um, that's like perfectly balanced with the whiskey. Like you can have some though where you smell like a sherry cask and it smells like every other strong sherry cask or even just sherry itself. Yeah. yeah. Whereas there's enough of like Bunnahaben's base malt present in the nose that you're like, oh, that is, that is like characteristic Bunnahaben. The palate is like a similar sweetness, um, but then a combination of the cask strength and there's something else about it that gives it like a sharpness that almost like elevates everything else. So it stops it from being too sweet. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, no, I'm so glad that you still had some because it's so, so good. Um, and, you know, uh, they did mention it's probably going to be pretty hard for us to source. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am keeping my eye out every now and again. Uh, because if I do see a bottle of that, I'm, I'm going to jump on it because it was so, so good. My 100% standout of the year. Yep. And now my standout of the year, which I feel like it's a little bit unfair, but like, honestly, I've tried, I've thought about this for a while and I just, nothing really sits on the same level for me. Um, putting aside, um, the other Bunnahaben five nines that we've already discussed, but that would be, um, Launston's winter solstice release. Um, I believe I may have mentioned it on the pod before. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you have. It was like I'm my whiskey, sure my winter warmer whiskey, maybe. Yeah. Um, but so this was a um, kind of experimental limited release just for the winter solstice from um, Launceston Distillery down in Tasmania. I believe it's around, there's like a um, whiskey festival that happens in Tasmania, usually around yeah. that winter time. And um, this has been... Um, made using entirely Flinders Island peat and Tasmanian barley. And the peat in it, like, kind of was alluding to it before with the um, Archie Rose stringy bark that we were talking about, but it just hits so good. Um, they've, they've characterized it as, like, lemon ash, which I 100% get on the palate. Um, and then you get a lot of, like, coastal, salty, briny notes that really come through to give it that... Um, yeah, really like coastal dram kind of feel that I think uh, safe to say, Brad, both of us are massive fans of. Um, yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, and me even more than you, right? You know how much I love a coastal dram, and I actually have a little bit of this. Um, Daniel already gave me a sample of this, mm-hmm. and I've got it in the glass now. I could probably go back, or maybe even if I remember drinking this, because I know the first time I did try this. Daniel and I were already like six drinks deep. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, gone and it's more like a core memory now. So I'd need something to unlock it. But man, just trying it now, it's so, so good. You got such a great citrus note coming mm-hmm. across the top. The citrus note almost cuts your palate first. Mm-hmm. Then you get the nice peaty, earthy characteristic underneath. But then as you have that, then you're getting like the ocean spray. And it's really such a delicate whiskey. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if I think about it and I go, okay, if Oban was a peated whiskey, this is what I imagine it being. Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred <laughs> percent. You know, so straight up my alley and a bottle that I'm probably thinking, damn, kicking myself I didn't get because <laughs> it's, it's truly really good. A really good pick for Dream of the Year. 
Yeah. And I know like there is a lot of variety with Pete and we've kind of, I've hit on that quite a bit already so far in the pod. Um, yeah, we beat that drum real hard. Yeah, but like, fl- yeah. if this is if this is Flinders Flinders Island, Pete, like mm-hmm. anytime that's used in Australian whiskey, I'm 100 percent looking out for it. Um, and ah, oh, man, I really hope that this is um, like Monson's kind of yearly winter solstice release. Like, if they could do something like this every year, like oh, I'd be on that. Ah, <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. It's it's really really good. Um, and now I guess. Before we get into our honourable mentions, we'll do our independent bottle of the year. And again, Daniel and I coming to the same consensus on this one. You might all think it's a little biased. Um, we've had him on the pod a couple of times, um, but it's an independent bottle from Justin Farmer, um, aka Whiskey in Isolation, the King Lake Distillery, Mulberry Woodcast. Man, that one was so, so good. So different. Yeah. And when we spoke to him on um, our list, episode that we did do with him we were both super keen super excited to try that mulberry cask but we were both very eager as well to see what does mulberry wood do to whiskey and i can tell you i really like what it does to whiskey yeah and i think one of the problems we may have because i don't think we've actually specifically reviewed this one on the pod yet yeah not yet no but like with flavors and when we're identifying flavors we're usually kind of referring back to like oh what does this remind me of what have i had i like this what notes have they mentioned around whiskey's aged in sherry casks and among them what can i pull out because we haven't really ever seen or tried anything aged in like mulberry wood there's nothing really to kind of have create a baseline for suggested notes and flavors um yeah 100 percent. and going back to our chat with justin and he was saying i think the only other distillery that's done it was um, a distillery in Ireland. Mm. So, you know, Daniel and I don't have that much exposure there. So then it's, man, what are we going to do for tasting notes? What are we pulling out from this? And it was such a great experience. Yeah. Almost like um, experiencing trying whiskey for the first time again. Whenever you find one of those drums that does something so different and you find yourself kind of digging through the glass to figure out um, what you're getting. Yeah, like, especially trying so many whiskeys. Like, you can be like, oh, yes, this is another sherry cask. Oh, yes, this is another yeah. peated whiskey. But very few actually hit the way you're like, wow, I've just tried something different and I've just tried something completely new. And that's what this did. And yeah. I think we'll kind of leave it there because I'd really like to try this episode, this um, whiskey on a hopefully a future episode with Justin, if we can get him coming on kind of prior to his next release. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And I'm looking forward to that and... You know, fingers crossed we can get Justin back on an episode to walk us through uh, the Marlboro Woodcast because, you know, Daniel and I both loved it. And we need help. <laughs> yeah, and we need help. <laughs> but yeah, now jumping into our honourable mentions for the year, we've already spoken about this one, um, the Archie Rose Strong Bark. Again, this, you know, a close second for my dream of the year. When I first opened that bottle, honestly, almost fell over. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like smoke was coming straight out of the glass and all the time I kept telling Daniel you know I kept telling you right I was going man when you try this it's going to blow your mind <laughs> and we every time we were trying to get together to try whiskey I think we almost kept forgetting because we have so much whiskey that we have to try yep. and 
you know, a lot of things get left to the side and we forget and then we go, oh crap, I forgot to pack this one when I brought it over and so on and so on. But when we got to Christmas, I was like, I'm not forgetting this. First <laughs> bottle I put in the bag, took it down and, um, you know, we were going through having our drams and I think we were both, right, we we're both super excited to get to it. And we were both thinking, you know, we have to be methodical. We can't start with the smoky whiskey. It's going to blow out our palate. Then we, it's going to ruin everything else we drink for the night. Trying to be super methodical. But when we got to it, it was worth the wait, right? Yeah. Well, see, I thought you made the kind of classic mistake of really hyping stuff up. Like, you yeah. really love a show. You really love a movie. You're like, oh, this is so good. And then everyone's like, yeah. okay, they're going with high expectations. Like, yeah. you already set my expectations so high. And I was like, all yeah. right, downplay it. Like, lower your expectations because Brad's really excited about this and you don't want to yeah. disappoint him by being underwhelmed. And yeah. so even though kind of I, in the back of my mind, I had that, ah, oh, this is meant to be really good. I hope it lives up to the hype. Like hundred yeah. percent exceeded it. Like I, yeah, you're right. Like even though I knew and you had told me what to expect, it's still, I couldn't have prepared yeah. myself for it. <laughs> yeah, no, it was really, really good. And the same thing that we said when we were like trying it and we looked at each other and we're like, this is barbecue in a glass. Yeah. Yeah. It's as if you're smoking meat mm -hmm. and you've put your head in the smoker. Yeah. <laughs> to see what's happening to the meat. And you get in that really kind of almost like yeah. warm, humid marinate, like in the smoke yeah. coming up to you. It was, oh. This would be so good, like in a smoky old fashioned. Mm hmm. Yeah. It would create like a whole new experience because we've yeah. had smoky old fashions with like um, Ardbeg and Lafroig, but yeah. having it with something that carries these additional flavors would just take it to a whole different place yeah 100 percent. and it's a smoky whiskey with no peat so you're not getting any of that like earthy characteristic or anything like that it's just pure smoke pure barbecue smacking you in the face yeah that's a good yeah. point because a lot of people can be turned off by peated whiskeys due to the peated note like and I know yeah. we've, we have talked about it. So if you're a little confused, please go back to our, our episode where we did talk about peat, but like yeah, the process of peating whiskey can give it a bunch of different characteristics everywhere from that kind of earthy medicinal yeah. um, dirt type notes to the really... Um, like the vegetal notes as the well. vegetal notes Or too. like decaying. Yeah. And just notes that you probably don't find appealing. Iodine, you know, that medicinal note. Notes that... You might not really want, maybe you just really want a smoky whiskey. Maybe. Yeah. And I think those, those terms like peat and smoke often get used interchangeably when they're not really the same thing. Like smoke yeah. is a flavor that can be an element of a peated whiskey, but just because yeah. a whiskey is peated doesn't mean it necessarily has the flavor of smoke in it. Whereas you're right, yeah, this, is, this is just smoke in there. So you're not getting any of that other peated characteristics. So if you love whiskey and you want to try something different, if you're a little bit hesitant around, yeah, like, peated whiskey, then this is definitely kind of something in a different ballpark. Yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, another honourable mention, the Deanston 12-year-old Oloroso cask. So this, again, was in the uh, tasting that Daniel and I did. Again, another huge standout. Uh, I remember you and I jumped in a call after we did the tasting, and we were... Looking at each other like, man, Deanston, they've got it. Mm -hmm. They're truly doing great stuff. And we were both saying, we need to get Deanston reviewed on the pod. And again, that's probably another one to keep your ears out for for this year. 
um, getting some dancing on the pod because they're doing some great stuff. Um, and it was, and again, going back to that tasting, it was so hard to pick a favorite. I mean, I did obviously have a favorite because it was my dram of the year. Yeah. <laughs> but from everything we tried that night. Not to mention that all twenty-eight year old Deanston that was in the musket. Yeah. They had a musket yeah. finish. Like Yeah. Like I mean, again, that's another one that's like really almost unfair to talk about because it can be well out of reach for a lot of people. Um, oh man, it's out of reach for me and you. Yeah, no. So. <laughs> the only re- the only way we tried it was because of that tasting, and like, yeah, that's like, I mean, an- another topic for another day is like the ability to try different whiskeys versus buying bottles that you can try, like, yeah. enjoy constantly. But um, it has it has been a great opportunity for us to kind of really cover a lot of bases, especially for something like the pod. Yeah, and an honorable mention, I guess, for distillery of the year would be Belveni. Ah. Uh. My God. And <laughs> I like, think this is one of those things where yeah. for some people, I think like, they're like, why are you so impressed by Balvenie? Like Balvenie's a staple. But for us, we really didn't touch Balvenie until this year. Yeah. And look, to like, I kind of set the tone for it as well. Of course, Daniel and I have tried Balvenie before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the nature of the pod, Daniel and I try really different whiskeys, whiskeys that are doing different things. Um, and we're both, I guess, on our own personal missions to expand our palates, build them, and give them as much experiences as possible. So we have that repertoire to draw back on, to give tasting notes for each other, and not only that, but for, for our listeners, right? And Daniel and I had been so entrenched in Australian whiskey the past year, mm-hmm. in 2022, and then... We kind of thought, you know what? We need to go back to Scotch. Let's just get Balbeni. We both had some bottles. Um, let's get it on the pod. We'll review it. And, you know, we both didn't try it before we had our episode. So the reactions were 100% legitimate. Yeah. And going into that, you are probably thinking like, what the hell? Like, it's just Car- Caribbean cask and the double, double wood. Double like, wood it's, yeah. yeah, double oak or double wood. And it's not anything that's hard to obtain, but from the point of view of what we've been talking about on air and off air, it was so good. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure I can say for both of us to just go back to Scotch. Yeah. I think that's, that's like an interesting thing that I've kind of noticed where when you're trying a bunch of different things, it can be really hard to like, okay. So you try two different whiskeys side by side and you can tell the differences almost apparently if you're constantly trying a lot of different whiskeys like one after the other like i want to say it's almost a version of like sensory overload or exposure fatigue or like what like whatever label you want to call it it's like we try so many different things that the differences become almost like they kind of merge into each other and it's really hard to kind of knuckle down on what different things kind of taste like what they're like the essential characters of them yeah um and as you said we had moved into australian whiskey for so long so being away from scotch for such a long period of time when we then tried it it was like a very like stark and overt contrast to everything we've been drinking recently that we were like okay yeah there is actually a difference between like scotch and australian whiskey and this has really shown it. So I'm like, it's probably an interesting thing we could explore 
like further on in the year is yeah for sure when we talk about different whiskies from different countries like there are differences that may not be as initially obvious as the actual kind of aging process or distillation process um but like there's like an almost an essential characteristic of the whiskies from different parts of the world that have I don't know, they just bring different stuff to the table. Yeah, 100%. And like I was saying, the reactions were 100% legitimate. But it was almost kind of like that um, that light bulb moment where you were like, this is why we started the pod. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Because, yeah, no, it was just one of those moments. Um, having been away from Scotch for so long. Um, no, it was just so good. To try something that was so familiar. Mm-hmm. And so reminiscent of, you know, why we started the pod, why we, um, you know, get together and talk about whiskey and share, you know, our love of whiskey. So, yeah, no, it was just just really good. Huge standout, more so because of the experience it gave. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's that's almost a good segue into our kind of, like, wrap-up of 2022 and now moving into 2023 where we're going to yeah. be discussing, like, what where the pod is going but also like what whiskies are we looking forward to trying because as we've kind of already alluded to there is stuff on our radar but do you want to get a bit more specific brad what what are the bottles you're most excited about yeah so um for me or well i guess i should say for our international listeners in australia we tend to get the special releases from diageo almost like a full year behind so we're always a year behind, um, behind you lucky bastards, right? You guys get them, you guys get them in the year, but we have to almost wait a whole year for it to take over. Then we get the previous years. Um, but man, I am super eager to get that, um, open special release for 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, American Oak and a double maturation in X Sherry and Amontillado season casks, man, I'm all over that. I'm so keen for that. And I know another one that we were looking at as well from that same special release would be the Cardu. And I think going back to 2021 would be the last time we tried a Cardu um, yes. from the special release series. And 2021, 2020. It would have been 2019. 2019. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Even further back. And the reason, I guess, Daniel and I are kind of peaked you know, our interest <laughs> is peaked by this one, would be, you know, it's been matured in refill and recharge casks, but finished in Jamaican pot still casks. Now, I guess to kind of give a little bit of context why we're interested in this one, from Cardu, we, I remember getting those more floral notes, really strong, I guess, space-side tones and characteristics. Yeah, and I was getting like baked pear was a very kind yeah. of... Um, yeah, strong note that I got from that one. Yeah, floral and fruity notes. In my mind, that should really marry well with rum. What I'm thinking is marriage made in heaven, yeah. potentially. <laughs> like, I'm thinking it should work. And based off of the uh, Kragenmore that used the Talisker ah, Pete, yeah. right, how that was so left field and so, like, wow. I'm almost expecting that kind of uh, experience or combination here. I know I'm potentially setting myself up for failure because <laughs> of how good that Kragenmore is. Um, 
But yeah, no, it's got me super excited to try that one. And I'm typically not interested in trying the Cardew from the special releases. Yeah. Like, I think Cardew is almost like the workhorse of Diageo. It does a yep. lot of the work. And I think for a lot of the special releases that have come out, it hasn't really stood out to us in terms of like offering something that is above what you just be able to get from buying a whiskey like any other whiskey like this is a special yeah. release like what is so special about it um that's it that's it 100 percent. it's just a consistent whiskey now that's not a bad thing consistency isn't bad yep but when you're i, I don't want to say like consistently doing something that's boring <laughs> But, but they're doing like the tried, tested, true stuff and they're yeah. really not deviating from it either because they use so much in blends that they need to be... Like, if yeah. blended whiskies rely on consistency because they need to balance all the different blends to deliver a, essentially the same kind of flavor yeah. for a wider audience, 100%. you need to make sure that sense. what you're getting is going to be the same every time. Yeah, yeah. Like that car do, you know, you're going to get a, a very, very strong in my mind, seven mm-hmm. or seven and a half. But when I'm getting these special releases, I wanted like an eight. Yeah. At least. Yep. <laughs> I want an eight at least. And um, yeah, no, but I'm still very looking, very much looking forward to this um, rum car do. Like I said, I potentially am setting myself up for failure here, <laughs> but I'm willing to die on that hill. Yep. Um. Some of the drams I'm looking forward to in 2023, yeah. I guess to keep on theme, um, two of the Diageo special releases I'm interested in is the Lagavulin and the Talisker. Um, yep. To be on- perfectly yep. honest, <laughs> like there's nothing, like kind of to, to this point, there's nothing particularly interesting about them in this yep. release. Um, I will say though that Lagavulin isn't really a surprise their yearly release is their 12, which is cast strength, and that doesn't really change. There will be variety batch to batch, but it's going to be their stick, their standard virgin oak cask. Um, yep. This does say from their smokiest reserves, so um, hoping to see a little bit of a smokier Lagavulin, which, you know, makes me super excited. <laughs> um, yeah, or... Uh... Or Daniel and I getting fed that sweet, sweet Diageo market. Yeah, you know, but, <laughs> that's uh, entirely you know, possible. Um, yeah. But you know, we'll just keep just keep eating it up because I've got every yeah. I got every one of the um, Lagavulin and Talisker from the special releases since 2019. Um, yeah, can't stop now. Yeah, can't stop now. <laughs> I'm committed. <laughs> I'm committed. They got me. <laughs> um, and the Talisker, like all they've got is it's just their classic character with a maritime multi smokiness. So. Um, again, it sounds pretty much like a talisker. It's going to be a cask strength. So I'm always keen for that. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No surprise, I guess as well, going into talisker and Lagavulin, you and I really love their base malts mm -hmm. so much. So of course, any opportunity to purchase a cask strength of that jump on it. Yeah. And I would say also for the other bottles or drams that I know we're going to keep an eye on you can probably expect to hear a little bit more about on the pod um a little bit more australia centric but we're probably yep. looking for whiskey in isolations next few bottlings i know he's got a lot in yeah, the works sure. and we should start for seeing sure. them coming out soon so i imagine we're expecting at least one for 2023 um not to mention archie rose's trials and exceptions yeah. if they're still yeah. popping them out like 
Wait. Uh, I I can't stop beating that drum, yeah. so I thought I wouldn't include it. But now that you mentioned it, yeah, for sure. Archie Rose trials and exceptions. You know the next one that comes out, probably gonna buy it. I think I'm on to my eleventh or twelfth Archie Rose bottle, mm-hmm. and yeah, can't stop now. So yeah, so I think they're, they're they're among the almost guaranteed purchases for the year. Um, I yep. think for what else you could expect to hear from Dram Talk throughout the year would be bottles that we've got on our shelves that we haven't got around to talking about, not through a lack of desire, but just through the sheer volume of stuff we've bought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People keep yeah, releasing got- <laughs> good whiskey and uh, I, c- I can't help it. I have poor impulse control. <laughs> yeah, no, no, likewise, likewise. You probably a little bit more than me. Um <laughs> But my poor impulse control spreads across a variety of hobbies I have. Um, to be fair, though, you've so you, been, you've you been, more than make up for you've it. You've been planning a wedding <laughs> the past couple of years, so yeah. that has is, that is impacted your spending, and now the tables have yeah. turned. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very true. Um, but yeah, just to give you guys a bit of context, I mean, look, I've got just shy of 60 bottles. Daniel, you're probably in the 70s to 80s. Sure, so... let's, let's say it's that low. <laughs> to be honest, I have I haven't counted recently, and I'm... I'm a little bit too scared to. I'll do it. I'll do it when my partner's not home. That way she can't hear the final tally. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, let's say Daniel's 80 plus, right? Um, let's knock off, uh, let's say 15 or so from mine, 20 or so from Daniel's. You're still looking at over 70 bottles that we haven't talked about on the pod. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. We're, we're going to do our best mm-hmm. to kind of get through that. So that kind of does segue really well into what we're going to talk about next, you know, what to expect from Dram Talk in the big 2023. Now, I guess the main topic of conversation here is our episode releases. So Daniel and I, you know, we went away. We kind of spoke about what do we see in Dram Talk for the next um, 12 months. And I guess for us here, with these episode releases, what you should expect, right? A main Dram Talk episode coming out the last Friday of every month, Mm -hmm. which will typically be this format. Daniel and I sitting down, having a chat about, um, I guess, all things whiskey, right? It just so happens that this time we're talking about our drams from the past year or whiskey experiences from the past year. Um, We're going to look to review and highlight two to three whiskeys. Um, And those whiskeys are going to probably be ones that were, you know, intrigued by something completely new to the pod or... Just something that Daniel and I, we just don't think it gets enough love. Yeah. And we want to draw some attention to maybe a particular distillery or a particular bottling or style of whiskey. It depends. We'll, we'll see where that takes us. But yeah, at least expect that. The main episode, the meaty episode mm-hmm. is going to come out the last Friday of every month. Um, but for long-time listeners of the pod, and I will say long-time listeners because recent listeners probably haven't gone far enough back in the catalog <laughs> to see these episodes because it was something really experimental, something that Daniel and I dabbled with. And then we kind of dropped it pretty quickly as life got in the way. Then we realized we just need to get main content out. Um, but now we're kind of both a little more stable yep. in our careers and whatnot. And even just the recording practices, yeah. like we, we always used to record in person um, and it was kind of a little difficult because we did live, I mean, like, if you're in Australia, it's not really a surprise, but I know for a lot of people, like, we kind of would say we live close, but it was still like a 40 to 50 minute drive from each other's place. 40 to 50 minute drive, and whoever's going 
you have two to three drams and we record an episode and then you're kind of like, cool, cool. let's just kind of <laughs> flesh out more content for the future episodes. But then it's, you know, you're losing three, four hours yeah. to record an episode. I did love when you, I did love when you drive over because I'd, I'd be a little bit heavier on my pawns. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did notice that. Yeah. I did notice that. <laughs> but like, but, and especially like no, now that I've moved to Canberra, it's like recording in person is almost impossible and i feel like we we really had to kind of find that easy balance between recording virtually yeah yeah so new practices we were getting used to we're accustomed to it now um and so yeah you should see a return of dream talk express yeah so this initially started because we were getting bottles from the whiskey club which was monthly releases and more often than not at least at that time we were buying them, they were like exclusives or um, bottled just for the whiskey club, um, stuff that people wouldn't be able to get get elsewhere. And so we thought we'd do these episodes as a way for people who did manage to obtain these bottles could kind of get our summary of them. But this will work similar to that. We may do some like limited or exclusive bottles, like some bottles from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, uh, maybe some from the Whiskey Club, um, maybe some other limited releases. Like I know the Whiskey List are also putting out some um, like exclusive releases to the community that are part of their mailing list. So um, they're some of the things that would feature in these Express episodes. Yeah, and not only that, but that enormous backlog that we have in our collection. Yeah, exactly. We're looking to get those onto episodes. And these episodes, they're going to be that normal format. I know you guys all know and love, right? <laughs> but it's just going to be condensed to, I'd say, under 30 minutes. And it's essentially just going to be whiskey talk about the two featured whiskeys in the episode. And it's going to be as if Daniel and myself are sitting right next to you sharing a dram, talking about these two whiskeys. And... Yeah, look, these episodes, though, they'll be a little more sporadic throughout the year, but you should at least expect, you know, one one a month. Um, one month, you might get two or three, but again, it'll vary um, depending on when we can arrange time to record, but also how well we can pair some whiskeys so we can kind of give you something that makes some kind of sense, but... Bear in mind, Daniel and I, we did have a little chat about this before today. We might want to branch away from pairing whiskeys that kind of marry together really well. So, yeah. Yeah, so I think it'll just be kind of stuff we feel matches with the discussion or the topics of those episodes. But then also for the Express ones, like I guess like the recommended listening option would be ideally if you could pour a dram of that whiskey yourself, if you happen to have it, have managed to obtain it. Um, not to say if you don't have it, you can't listen. We would obviously love everyone to listen to, um, all of our episodes, but, um, I guess the ideal experience would be for you to be able to share that dram with us and, um, you know, maybe message us afterwards. Let us know if you've had similar, different thoughts, something struck you that we had, didn't mention. Cause, um, we would really love to kind of also boost like listener engagement and communication, um, sharing kind of. Um, any kind of communication we've had with you guys through emails, through DMs on Instagram, like, you know, really whatever. And whether it relates to specific episodes or topics that we've talked about or whiskeys that we've tried or whiskeys you think we should yeah. try. All right. So I know you're all probably thinking, you know, 
there's been a hell of a lot of talk, but not enough drones. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you guys said you're going to highlight two to three whiskeys. Um, we know Brad had a little bit of a dram of the winter solstice and Daniel had a dram of the Una, but then the hell, <laughs> you guys didn't give us any tasting notes or anything like that. But no, no, we hear you. We hear you loud and clear. Let's get into the drams for this episode. All right, so our first dram of the evening for this episode ties a little well with my pick for dram for uh, distillery of the year, and that would be the Archie Rose Blasphemy. So this is at 40%, 700 ml bottle. We love to see that mm-hmm. um, for an Australian distillery, at least. Um, and for context... For those of you new listeners, um, Aussie distillers, we tend to bottle at 500 mils, not 700. So whenever Daniel and I see 700 mil, we kind of always point it out (laughs) like, good on (laughs) you. But to be fair as well, we have some pretty crap, uh, I'd say, taxes when it comes to how much you're putting in the bottle and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I mean, if 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 you've ever entered any kind of Australian whiskey forum group chat room like you would see it's it's pretty much a constant thing that people discuss the pros and cons um we have our opinions but you know it, it is good to see a 700 mil because you know who wouldn't want an extra 200 mil of whiskey <laughs> yeah exactly but dang and i fully understand it we've spoken to a lot of aussie distillers now mm-hmm. we fully understand it um but like, whenever we see 700 mils always good to have more whiskey yes um <laughs> so a little bit about this blasphemy, right? So Archie Rose, they joined forces with uh, Melbourne St. Ali, their coffee roasters, um, and they created a, I guess, a marriage between Archie Rose's single malt and the St. Ali Orthodox and Wide Awake coffee. Now, I guess going into a little bit of the, I guess, the notes from Archie Rose themselves, um, Blasphemy showcases both the unique Archie Rose six malt mash bill and the roasted notes from St. Ali's blends. So Orthodox coffee meets the nuance of wide awake's cold drip method with this double coffee mashup macerated and used to convert cask strength whiskey to bottling strength. So instead of diluting whiskey with water to bring it to a palatable level for the average consumer they've brought this down to 40 percent with cold drip how good is that i find is super interesting and i mean like so initially when i heard about how whiskey got to this like standard abv i was very surprised because i mean like yep. if you if you're even just like a casual peruser of scotch like a common thing you may hear from not just whiskey snobs, but even some, like, maybe not necessarily snobs, it was like, you don't add water to whiskey, like, you have it neat, and that's that's the only way to drink it. And it's like, I feel like a lot of people don't actually properly consider the fact that when a whiskey comes out of the cask, it is dropped down in ABV using usually, like, fresh spring water. 
to take it down yep. to the required strength. So it's already watered down. And now some people may be against adding water to whiskey because it has already been watered down to a um, desired kind of balance as chosen or determined by yeah. the distiller, which is always kind of like a good deferral. Um, but at the same time, it entirely depends on your palate. Like if you feel like whiskey needs to go lower, then you're more than welcome to add water to it. And it's what we usually do for cast strength whiskeys to find that perfect balance. But to hear this has been done using cold drip, like just coffee is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess from a pricing perspective for our Aussie listeners, like 90 bucks. <laughs> and, you know, before we go into the notes and, Yada yada yada. When Daniel and I get into the whiskey, I've tried this, absolutely love it. Ninety bucks, absolute steal. Um, Daniel's tried this in a cocktail, if I'm not mistaken. Was yeah, that right? So I yeah. went with a mate to the Archie Rose, like the bar at the distillery, and um, grabbed a cocktail that was called Snape's Maple Old Fashioned. So I feel like they're kind yeah. of leaning a little bit on like a Harry Potter element there, but they use blasphemy um, with a like black walnut, chocolate, maple syrup, and orange. And it was a very sweet cocktail, but I'm yeah. a, like a massive fan of maple syrup. So if that sweetness is coming from the from a maple syrup type flavor, like if you if you had maple syrup before, you know that it's sweet. So like that kind of sweetness, I really love, and that worked yeah. so well with the coffee and the like nuttiness of the walnut. Like, oh, I was a massive fan of it, and now I'm so keen to try this straight. <laughs> yeah, and look straight on the nose. You can't shy away from it. There's coffee on the nose. And again, this is a little bias. Daniel and I really like coffee. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's probably it's probably a note that's right up our alley. Really, really strong coffee notes on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like a sweet coffee. Like you kind of get like a, a touch of that bitterness. But it's, yeah, it's similar to coffee that you find in a stout too. Um, yeah, sweet, slightly chocolatey, slightly nutty. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very different to, I guess when you make a cup of coffee Yeah, and I guess if you have your coffee with milk before you pour the milk in, if you ever take a whiff of the glass, it's super bitter mm-hmm. and this isn't that. Um, but yeah, no mistaking though, there is coffee in this whiskey. Yeah. All right, I'm going to try it. I can't wait much longer. Yeah, let's get on the palate. Now, to be honest, like, having Archie Rose, like, a, quite a few samples of different Archie Rose. Whoa, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just got, like, so, let me walk you through my experience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it changed even as I was talking. Um, yeah. Like, a lot of the things I've noticed about Archie Rose is it feels very thick, very viscous, very almost yeah. syrupy. Um, for a lot of the whiskeys I've had, this didn't feel like that. This was a lot, yep. um, yep. lighter. It tastes a lot more like liquid than it did like syrup. Um, yep. which initially struck me. And then I was kind of getting a few of, um, the Archie Rose flavored notes. So you, you're picking up the whiskeys, like, um, stuff you get from like standard whiskey. Like there's a slight fruitiness, um, yep. saying along the lines of, like orchard fruits, so thinking like apples, um, plums, maybe a little bit of pear, but wasn't really wasn't really as light as pear though. Um, but 
then I just got coffee. It was like, it was yeah. like I took a sip of whiskey, then took a drink of a coffee. <laughs> like, it was insane yeah. how much, like, pure coffee I felt like I just drank. And, like, I, I, I only drink black coffee. And it was just that, like, oh, that was, that was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, and again, have I not been telling you, like, this is a really good whiskey, right? Yeah. Even though it's so far from what you traditionally expect of whiskey, but I've been telling you, you know, it's, it's really good. And I was so excited as well to kind of see your reaction <laughs> to this whiskey, because I tell you right now, I had the exact same first reaction when I had this, when I opened this bottle the first time. And I had the first glass. My first initial taste, I thought, this is so different from Archie Rose. It's so thin. It's not the mouth-coating, viscous dram that I come to expect from Archie Rose's single malt. And then you absolutely get smacked in the face <laughs> by the strong like Americano notes, yeah. espresso. You get amaretto you get dark chocolate it's just it sends you for a s absolute spin yeah because you're thinking what the hell <laughs> is going on and you're almost thinking like jesus christ i have an espresso martini uh -huh. in my glass <laughs> because it, you're you've got a glass of whiskey in front of you and you're going and then it just turns into an espresso martini it's so so different from anything I'd ever tried. And I thought, like I said, absolute steal yeah. at 90 bucks for the experience it gives you. Yeah. Like, this is crazy. I feel like it really appeals to people who like coffee. And um, as I was saying, like, I drink black coffee, but while I can appreciate, like, coffee you get from a cafe, which is basically the espresso shot in hot water... I'm much more like favorable towards like filtered coffee. It's like using the, the filter paper with the coffee is like drip filter. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that's the kind of coffee this tastes like. Um, and it's so weird. Cause it's almost as if you both, like you like put a shot of whiskey and a shot of coffee in your mouth, but then we're able to swallow the whiskey first. And then you were able yeah. to swallow the coffee. Cause it's like, you, you could almost taste them together, but then independent from each other. Yeah. It's so weird it's so good yeah. yeah no it's it's very very weird and it's very much an outlier from anything we've ever tried on the podcast um again which is why i was so keen for you to <laughs> for this to be your first experience trying this dram and no very very good um yeah you know we gave you the tasting notes you know amaretto yeah espresso espresso martini almost get a bit of americano some dark chocolate as well. Daniel mentioned, you know, you get some notes of apples, pear, some kind of that, some of that baked fruit mm -hmm. as well. But again, there's just like a, almost like an initial space side note, but like you said, whacked in the face with coffee straight after and it doesn't stop as well. But the only thing I can maybe knock this down a little is that the finish as packed as it is with flavor it's a very short finish yeah and i find every time i go back to the glass like i don't get hit with that same initial yeah distinction between the whiskey and the coffee that i did upon that first sip um not to say that every other sip isn't as enjoyable but i don't get that clear cut like whiskey then coffee it's almost like the coffee still kind of stays around in the same way it does 
Like you wouldn't say a coffee has a finish, but the coffee like remains kind of in your mouth after you've had a cup of coffee. Um, so it's kind of similar here. And then you just keep like drinking the whiskey, which tops up that coffee essence in your mouth. Yeah. Um, but I, I would agree with you there that like in terms of describing finishes as we've referred to them in previous whiskeys we've had, yeah, it's, it's a short finish. Short finish, but incredibly jarring mm-hmm. and very pla- packed with flavor. Yeah. You can't knock it that. No. <laughs> but yeah, short finish though, but it's like a wallop. Yep. It knocks you. It sends you for something. Um, but I guess a side note on this one as well is just if in my mind now, if I ever want to use Kahlua, I'm just going to mm. use Blasphemy. Yeah. What the hell is Kahlua? I'm never touching that again. (laughs) (laughs) It's just going to be blasphemy. Like, it's such a great substitute for any cocktails that require any kind of coffee element to it. Like, it's fantastic. If you're a whiskey drinker, you really like coffee. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of leading into, you know, who's this dram for? Yeah, I feel like we don't really need to state who this dram is for because it's so obvious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's very, very obvious. And it's very rare that you find a whiskey that it's so obvious mm-hmm. that who is this for? And before we kind of lead into that, because it's so obvious, you know, Daniel and I ta- have talked about this before on the podcast, right? That whiskeys at 40% have a lot to offer. Not all the time, but every now and again, you come across a 40% whiskey that is just so different or stands on its own two feet and in spite of the short finish this stands on its own two feet Mm -hmm. for the stark i guess contrast that it brings to the world of whiskey yeah um yeah no just super interesting stuff and again of course australian distilleries we have the liberty to do things like this um i guess not many distilleries around the world may have the same, I guess, freedom to experiment in this manner and then still be able to call this a whiskey whiskey when yeah. they put it on the shelf. Yeah. Um, but I mean, good on Archie Rose, like I was saying before, 90 bucks. Yeah. And that's kind of like, yeah, I would say my, who this whiskey is for would a hundred percent be a person in your life who loves coffee, but may not necessarily be into whiskey yet. Like it kind yeah. of fits within a realm of like, possibly reasonably affordable to gift um alternatively to recommend to them to hey you want to try whiskey go out and buy this one because it's whiskey that's been cut with coffee so like yeah and it's 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 got such a present coffee note that any person like any coffee lover is going to be able to find that in there and that's going to possibly be like the gateway whiskey for them use this for um, if you love an espresso martini, like myself, um, <laughs> man, I can't tell you, this is so far up your alley yep. <laughs> that, that you couldn't, you couldn't look harder if you tried yep. <laughs> to find a whiskey that's up your alley. If you love an espresso martini, because this is it. It's almost like a straight substitute. Yeah. hundred percent. You don't, you'd almost never need to have a whiskey martini. Just have a bottle of blasphemy. Yeah. The ABV may it. be quite a bit higher than yeah. a standard glass of an espresso martini. But let's yeah. ignore that fact for the moment. Yeah, let's ignore that. Um, but just to kind of give a little more context as we finish our drams, Archie Rose's 
mash bill, right? Six malts. We know they have a chocolate malt in there, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And they also have peated malt in there. And look, those just those two malts right there, I think give the coffee notes such a great stage to play mm-hmm. on. Because without that chocolate, I guess, mash bill, that chocolate malt, without that peated malt, can be a little... You might find it might be a bit too stark with the coffee note. But because those two complemented so well, you end up with this. Yeah, 100%. It's all about balance. And I think like that's probably yeah. one of the reasons why this would work for Archie Rose as opposed to another distillery. Like if any other distillery had e- even like this thought had crossed their mind, like you got to really start with the right mash bill for the coffee when it's added to it to create that right balance in flavor to create something enjoyable that doesn't just taste like coffee or doesn't just taste like whiskey with like a coffee note in the background. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, it stands on its own two feet. There's merit to this whiskey. So don't dismiss it for our Aussie listeners here. Mm-hmm. When you're in Dan's, when you're in BWS or wherever you buy your whiskey, when you see this on the shelf, come on, 90 bucks for an Aussie whiskey. And if you like coffee, man, give it a crack. <laughs> it's it's so good. So, so good. Um, and now, Daniel, I'll let you bring in our second whiskey of the night. All right, so this whiskey was chosen basically because I feel like it really just ties in this whole episode with really, like, unconventional pairings. We had a beer and peated casks. We had a whiskey cut with coffee. Now we're going to a peated whiskey finished in beer casks. Um, If that hasn't already given it away, we are going to be dealing with the Lagavulin and Offerman edition finished in Guinness casks. Yeah, so this one's at 46%. Um, goes without saying with scotch, 700 mils. I guess there's a little bit of context for the whiskey before we dive straight into the glass. So this would be the second Offerman edition that's been released. I would imagine that for most of our listeners, if you're in America, this should be something that you may be quite familiar with and have seen at your local bottle shops. If you're in Australia, you would know the kind of mad rush that's been around trying to secure bottles of this when they're coming out, the Lagerville and Offerman editions. Um, I have no idea what kind of availability it has for the rest of the world, um, but Nick Offerman, Parks and Recreation actor, um, woodworking icon, like, I, you could have seen him Lagerville from... and Lover? Yeah, you've seen him from many <laughs> different walks of life, um, but he did, like, a pairing with Lagerville and kind of from his character Ron Swanson and his love of Lagerville and in the show, um, he did a release with them, which was an 11-year-old. Um, so I kind of feel like that fits between a lot of Lager's releases... Um, like they got their eight, they got their standard 12 and then they got their, their, sorry, their yearly, their standard eight, their yearly 12 and their standard 16. Um, so this was an 11 year old. I don't think there was anything particularly notable about the aging of the first release. The second release was in Guinness cask and the third release, which has just come out is in charred oak, but we're focusing on the Guinness casks now. Um, these are all 11 year old as well. So again, Lagavulin pairing with Guinness. You all know Guinness. We don't need to be Guinness. Um, kind of some of the notes, or not the notes, but the the spiel from Lager. Pairing the signature 
flag of wool and intense peat and wood fire smoke with the creamy caramel roasted coffee notes and dark chocolate from the Guinness casks. So with that great, great marketing, it almost ties together our episode really, really well. Yeah. <laughs> beer finished in peat, peat finished in beer, but it also has the dark chocolate notes and coffee notes, which were in blasphemy as well. We know what we're doing, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, these these three choices weren't a last-minute decision five minutes before we started recording. We planned this out in perfect harmony. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> planned to perfection. Yes. <laughs> but, like, okay, so initially on the nose for this one, I'm really getting almost classic Lagavulin. Like, nothing really stands out to me on the nose as being particularly different, diverging from the norm of what you'd expect from a Lagavulin. Um, there is like almost like a sweet peat element to it. Um, but you're you're getting that smokiness of Lagavulin. Like I remember my first try of Lagavulin was kind of like a like a fireplace. Yeah. Very interesting. I think it's pretty stark um from what I'm getting. Of course, signature Lagavulin in the glass. But I'm Almost getting some pretty strong iodine notes. Okay. As well. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's just the bitterness coming through. Um, but, yeah, in terms of sweet peat, not so much for me. Mm. But, again, we all differ on what we're getting from the glass. I mean, like, to be honest, like, I'm sitting in a room where I've got an empty beer glass in front of me. I've got an empty blasphemy cup so there's there's a lot of aromas floating around but like if i stick my nose in the glass um i mean like yeah i already said it i'm getting sweet peat there is almost like i would say upon reflection there is a bitterness but then there's also like a creamy sweetness um bordering on a chocolate chocolatey note that i could pick up from a stout i don't know whether that's just kind of like stuff that I would normally expect from a Guinness cask. But it's almost like a like a really sharp high ABV Guinness or stout whiskey uh stout beer. Yeah, no, I, I can get what you're saying with that. Um again, I think the nose when you really get into the glass, um it cuts you a lot more than forty six percent should. Yeah. Um but yeah, apart from that, classic lager in the glass, which is no uh, disappointment for me. Absolutely love lager. So yeah, no, that's not a knock in my book. Yeah. All right. I'm going to jump onto the palette. Now this is where it really diverges from like what you'd normally expect from Lager Villain for me. Like yep. it's so different and... I can almost still taste the beer. Like, even though the the dark ale or stout, like the beer we drank earlier, like that's been washed away with water and that other whiskey. Like, it almost feels like I had just finished drinking that and then have drunk mm. a whiskey. It almost feels like a Boilermaker if you had Guinness and Lager Woolen together. Like, that, that just feels what, what it tastes like. Yeah, no, I definitely get what you're saying there. Um, for me, though, I think on the palate... Definitely can tell this is a Lagavulin. Mm -hmm. You have that earthy peat. Yeah. 
for me, what's playing out though, I'm definitely getting an initial hit of green apple. Oh, okay, yeah. So it's actually a little fresh or a little like, I guess, juicy or mm-hmm. whatever. I, I don't really like using juicy as a tasting <laughs> for whiskey, but it it is like a little flavor bomb kind of in your mouth with, with that initial hit of green apple. Yeah, that's funny because like I would... S- I would say I'm getting more of a dry taste, like a dry smoke, um, like dry wood burning is like what I what I can taste from the Lagavulin inside. And then, sorry, just some more, um, jump back on what I was saying before about the whole Boilermaker situation, like as opposed to Blasphemy, where I felt like I also had coffee in my mouth. I don't feel like I've drunk a Guinness, but I feel like the taste of Guinness is still in my mouth, if that makes sense. Like right. it's different. Like yeah. I haven't, I don't have like, I don't feel like I'm drinking Guinness. It's just more like the remnants of it is still there from something I drank previously in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. And when I think about my palate as well, like I mentioned, you know, that classic lager um, with that earthy peat mm-hmm. and I'm still getting that almost um, burnt wood mm. characteristic as well. But for me, that's more so on the finish. Now this finish, obviously a very, very stark contrast from, the dream we just had before in the blasphemy. This is a long finish. Yep. As I kind of um, masticate like a cow, <laughs> this um, <laughs> this does have a long finish. Um, and I'm getting more of that woody characteristic in the finish as opposed to the palate. Yeah. And it's almost like a lingering woody burnt uh, smoke in the distance. Mm-hmm. Um. But then I'm also getting some bitterness yep. akin to coffee on that finish. And, yeah, no, a great finish. That's, that stays in your mouth for a long time. Yeah. I mean, like, you've you've hit upon all the notes of the finish that I would have also said too. Um, and it's like, it's one that if you don't like smoking whiskey, I don't think you're going to be a fan of this one because it does leave that no. smoky taste in your mouth well into the finish and even after yeah almost all of the other whiskey elements are gone it feels like that smoke is still there which is something i absolutely love yeah no and i 100 percent um back you on that one yeah and for regular listeners of the pod you know when it comes to peated whiskey daniel and i it's um we're always keen to try. <laughs> and not only that, but we're almost always going to like it. Yeah, no, really, really good. But I guess before we end off on, you know, who's this whiskey for, I kind of want to get back in the glass. I poured a pretty healthy drama this yeah, same. <laughs> because I knew I was going to like it. <laughs> I mean, like on a revisit, I do get what you're yeah. saying. Like it's maybe not as dry now, like not as that dry smoke, yeah. getting a little bit more of that juiciness that you were referencing. Again, I probably couldn't nail it down to a specific kind of fruit, but it's definitely a fruity element. For me, when I got that juicy hit, the initial thing that hit my mind straight away was Granny Smith. Yeah, yeah. So Granny Smith, green apple. I don't know if every green apple in the world is a Granny Smith, so I didn't (laughs) say Granny Smith. But yes, green apple Mm -hmm. or Granny Smith. Um, But no, a really, really good entrance onto the palate. One that, again, like Daniel mentioned, right? Like you said, if you don't like smoky whiskey or peated whiskey, you're not going to like this. Yeah. 
but the initial hit on the palate could almost trick you <laughs> into thinking, I might like this. Yeah. And then as it unfolds and plays out, then you're going to realize, oh God, no. Daniel Bradford. <laughs> well, yeah, like I think like that that does kind of go into who this whiskey's for because I would say like almost in contrast, it's not for someone who doesn't like smoke. Like yeah. the peated element of this, I would say, is less obvious than the smoke element. The smoke element of it is kind of really the standout part of the glass. Um, so if yeah. you like smoke more than peat referring back to our conversation before, then this is probably a little bit more appealing to someone who's a bit on the fence about peated whiskey. But, um, yeah, if you don't like smoke, like, really avoid this whiskey because it's not for you. Um, But if you do love smoke, like, 100%, right up there. And, like, I, I don't know if there's a correlation between people who enjoy... Um, like bonfires or fireplaces and enjoyment of peated whiskey um, being a sample size of one. I can say it's true on my account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and I can say as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true for me as well. Um, I don't know. Maybe we need a third dram talker to yeah. be there. I hate peat. Someone who, who, who really doesn't like peat just to really balance us yeah. out because we're two peat heads here. <laughs> Yeah. Are always going to speak favorably about a peated whiskey. I say always. That's that's not the case. I have had some peated whiskeys that I'm not a fan of. Yeah, no, but more often than not. More often than not. It's, yeah. When it's peated, it's a dram talk special. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's something for later in the year, Daniel, and I need to find a third <laughs> who absolutely abhors peated whiskey. And they can be the voice of reason <laughs> for all of you that don't like peated whiskey. Uh, but for me, though, who's this dram for? Um, look, if you really, really enjoy Lagerborn mm-hmm. and you're tired of restocking the 16 and the 8, <laughs> if you can get a bottle of this, man, go for it. It's it's really, really good. I think that's an interesting point because, like, Lagavulin, they've got their 8, their 16, and their yearly 12, and their distiller's edition. But aside from... But, like, they don't really go outside of the norm there. They don't experiment. Yeah, no, they don't. Yeah, they don't. And, hey, this is one of those few rare instances when Lager do experiment. Yeah. Definitely one, I'd say... If you're a fan of lager or a fan of peated whiskey, want to just add to your repertoire of bottles. Mm-hmm. Because in saying that, it's probably a piece of whiskey history, right? Um, oh, yeah. So, no, a really good dram in its own right. And marries really well with the other dram we had in the episode. And not only that, but the beer that we had at the start of the episode as we were drinking and sipping while we talked about our whiskeys and whiskey experiences of the past year being 2022. And you know what? Like, if I was to add something about who this whiskey would be for, um, I would say, like, if you're with people who drink beer and you're trying a bunch of different beers, and, like, I would say, like, similar to the way we would organise, like, a whiskey flight, like, if you're trying beers, you would usually finish on a stout. Like, I feel like this would be a fun thing to introduce at the end of that tasting to maybe your beer drinkers to be, like... 
and now let's try this whiskey because there's enough common elements that they still feel like the beer is playing in it that they can get into whiskey that way. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. That's a good point. That is a pretty good point. Um, I'd only caveat that with being, if those beer drinkers don't like whiskey, giving them a peated whiskey straight up just because it's finished <laughs> in Guinness cask may send them down the wrong road. Um, but no, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Um, because most people that like Guinness are crazy anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and I like Guinness, so I'm in the crazy pile. <laughs> that is what it is. As we go to wrap up the episode today, as always, you can reach Daniel and myself at dramtalk.au at gmail.com or you can slide into our DMs on Instagram at dramtalkpodcast. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. You know, whether it's you've tried Archero's Blasphemy, you've tried the Lager Offerman Edition 2, or maybe you've had a pretty crazy whiskey experience that's a little bit out there, like these two drams are in today's episode. Share it with us. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. And as we reach the end of the episode, our glasses may be empty, but we hope yours aren't. So, pour another dram! dram.